0: we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. May God bless the reading of his word. So, before we continue on to our verses, um, I just want to make a quick note that it is likely that what John is describing here are the views of the cessationists, of those people who are outside of the church who are teaching these false doctrines about sin and about themselves. Um And so that's when we get to this if then formula that he's going to be talking about. A lot of this is a discussion between the two. And he's going to show us why they're wrong and why he and the other apostles and the disciples are in the right. So let's go ahead to verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Previously, we mentioned or we received a revelation concerning the character of God. As you remember, John made known the message they had received and given, and that was that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Now we learn of a particular problem, and that is for those who claim to have fellowship with God, but continue to walk in darkness. Logically, this would be a problem. If God is light, and in him there is no darkness, then it would be impossible to have fellowship with God while willingly walking in the darkness. To walk in the darkness is to be living a lifestyle of sin. To willingly live in such a lifestyle without any concern for the character of God would be an indication of something drastically wrong with an individual or even a corporate identity. It means that these individuals lie and do not practice the truth. Clearly such individuals would be lying about the fellowship they claim to have since light and darkness are so separate from one another. It is similar to Matthew 7, when Jesus discusses um, thistles growing on fig trees and figs growing on thistles. It is impossible for this to happen. So it is for those who claim to be in fellowship with God while their own lifestyles reflect darkness rather than light. Likewise, by lying about the relationship which is claimed to have, they do not practice the truth, because the truth of Christ would not allow them to live in a way incongruent with the Father's will. And so we go to verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If the previous if-then statement was negative, which it was, then this one is meant to be a contrast against that one, and it's meant to be positive. If living in darkness implies that there is no fellowship with God, then the converse must also be true. This reflects verse 5, when we learn of God being light, and it also assumes that we have fellowship with God by saying, if we walk in the light, um, as he is in the light, it implies that there is fellowship already established with God. Otherwise, we would not be able to be in the light to begin with. It is also interesting that he says we have fellowship with one another. In the context, it makes sense, especially since in the opening verses, one of the reasons for writing the letter was so that those reading would have fellowship with the apostles and the disciples of Christ. For many today, this fellowship with each other might not seem a significant statement. Um... It becomes significant, however, when we consider the time period that this was stated in. When we consider biblical history, after Abraham, there became two kinds of peoples, Jews and Gentiles. That was all that there was, and it was a complete and total separation. After Christ, however, there became a third human identity, which included both Jews and Gentiles, This in itself would cause many to consider that some kind of eschatological end times event had occurred. For now, in Christ, all people can be brought together through the blood of Christ. While there was enmity between peoples previously, through Christ there is true fellowship. Likewise, John recognizes that living in the light reflects that the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. Now, this should not be understood to mean that the blood of the Son cleanses us by our own doing. This would imply a works-based salvation. Instead, if we walk in the light, we already have fellowship with God. And since we already have fellowship with God, we can be sure that the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, cleanses us from all sin. We now go to verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. John now reflects on another negative if-then formula. This time he focuses on sin. It seems likely that this is a refutation against individuals who are making a claim concerning their sin. To have no sin implies that they are not guilty of sin or have not sinned. We need to remember that much of what John is writing against is false teachings concerning the character of God and therefore a false response to God since it is a false teaching about God. In this, we recognize these individuals who claim to not be sinners. John argues that if someone holds such a belief, then they live in self-deception. In other words, they are lying to themselves and because of that, the truth is not in them. This reflects the first negative if-then statement in verse 6. In that one, the focus was on a lifestyle. In this one, it is focused on a failure to recognize what it means for Christ to have come and the repercussions of his coming for all of us. These false teachings and these false believers claim that they are not sinners. If they are not sinners, if they do not have guilt for sin, or if they claim to not have sinned, then it is impossible for them to understand the life which is Christ and what it means for Him to have come. And because of this, they lie about themselves since God tells them that they are in fact sinners in need of salvation. We then go to verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us of, for us from all unrighteousness. John now focuses on the positive. If we do not lie to ourselves, we will recognize that we do, in fact, sin. Having this honesty will cause us to confess our sins. This idea does not merely mean asking for forgiveness, but reflects the teachings of John the Baptist and Jesus himself, which focused on a repentant lifestyle. Such a repentant lifestyle would naturally have confession as a necessary requirement, since confession itself is a self-recognition of sin in one's life. It is necessary for us to recognize the importance of repentance in this discussion. Simply put, confession alone would have no effect on the status of someone's life in the end. Many confess their sins, but then continue to live in them remorselessly but if we continue if we recognize that confession here is tied with repentance then it is a recognition of a sinful lifestyle and the desire to change that lifestyle to confess sin is also a confession that we are unable to save ourselves and must rely on Christ for our salvation it is to confess that we are deserving of judgment when we are placed everything on our own shoulders but what happens if we do confess If we do live a repentant lifestyle, then God is faithful and just to forgive our sins. How is God faithful in us? He is faithful to do as he claimed to do. He could simply not forgive us our sins. But the truth is, he does forgive us, and he is faithful to his word and his promise to be merciful to those who seek him. To be just to forgive is also a reflection of the justice and righteousness found on the cross. This causes us to remember something that was brought up last week. Why can't God just forgive sins without the cross? The answer given was that to forgive without the cross would go against God's righteous character. Thus, God is just in forgiving sins through the cross of Christ, since Christ takes the sin of those whom are forgiven. God does not merely let sin get passed by. Instead, he sends his son to take the penalty of the cross in our stead. But we are not only forgiven of sin, are we? It does not end there. Instead, it ends in righteousness, which is what John is trying to convey here. To cleanse implies a change, a transformation. We recognize this when we take baths or showers today to get dirt or grime off. We are changed in some manner after we wash. This is what occurs through Christ and the justice found in Him. We are cleansed from all unrighteousness. This reflects on the confession and repentance discussion we had formerly. To be cleansed of all unrighteousness implies a transformation. That transformation occurs through a repentant lifestyle. When we live a repentant lifestyle, we live a changed life. A repentant lifestyle is one which is turned away from sin and turned toward God. When we live in this way, we then live a life of righteousness In this way, God cleanses us of unrighteousness by transforming our lifestyle from sinful and unrighteous to repentance and righteous. Now we come to verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. This verse is a further reflection of verse 8. If it was there that we first heard of those who claim to not have sinned, because of the way it is said here versus there, it might be that John in verse 8 focused on present sin, that is, those who are making the claim that um, they don't sin anymore in the present state. This verse might allude further to those who claim to not only claim to not sin now, but those who claim to have never had guilt of sin to begin with. Hence, John saying, if we say we have not sinned. So it seems likely... That those who are advocates of this false teaching are saying that they do not have the guilt of sin. If this is the case, if we are not truly guilty before God prior to conversion, then we do something outrageous, which is make God a liar. We make God a liar because according to his word, the world has fallen in sin. We are in need of redemption. And that is through Christ we receive this redemption. To claim to have no guilt, however, is to make the claim God makes through Christ himself um, a lie and completely unnecessary. If this is the case, then John comes to one conclusion. If we end up lying to others about our relationship with God who is in the light by living in darkness, if we lie to ourselves by claiming we do not sin, and if we lie by claiming to have no guilt for sin, then the answer can only be this, that the word is not in us. His word being the life, the eternal life, who is Jesus Christ, is not in us. The main point of these verses are to provide us a glimpse into what is occurring in these congregations and the false teachings that have arisen around them. We have learned of individuals who live in darkness by not walking in the light via repentance, who claim to have no sin and who claim to have no guilt of sin. Such individuals are not only misrepresenting their own lives in sin, but also misrepresenting God who through the Spirit convicts the world of sin. However, there is hope in that if we live in the light via repentance, we have fellowship with God and shows our redemption through Christ. If we confess our sins, God forgives us. And in the end, walking in the light and confession is evidence that the truth is in us. This leads us to our application points. Within today's text, we see a dichotomy between two ways of life. The first is one of darkness... And the second is one of light. Both of these lifestyles are incompatible with one another. One cannot remain in the light while also remaining in the darkness. Likewise, one cannot remain in the darkness while also being in the light. This stems from the antithesis we found in verse 5, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. It is with this in mind we reflect on these two different lifestyles. The first we want to discuss is on darkness. What does it mean? To live in darkness. If today is an indication it would appear that to live in darkness is to live in sin. Well what is sin? Sin is living in a way which breaks the righteous law of God as established by his word. When we consider the Ten Commandments, we understand them to be the basis for a moral life, and further when we consider Christ who spoke of the two commandments, on which all of the commandments hang to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. To live in a way which is contrary to these is to live a lifestyle of sin. It is to miss the mark of righteousness, causing us to fall into debt because of our transgressions. In other words, we become guilty before our righteous God because of our sin. To walk in darkness is to have to have no care whatsoever for these things. To willingly walk in darkness without desiring to know or glorify the God of all creation and care nothing for his moral law. In the New Testament, we find further traits of living this kind of lifestyle. In 1 Corinthians, we find, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that's from 1 Corinthians 6, 9-10. through Likewise in Galatians, we read, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that's Galatians five nineteen through 21 To live life in these ways as a lifestyle is to live a life of sin to live in darkness rather than in the light. This is where we need to make a statement and remind everyone that there is a difference, though, between stumbling into sin and living a lifestyle of sin. What John is discussing here, and Paul in his letters, is the latter. It is either recognizing or refusing to recognize sin in one's life and continuing on without confession or repentance from that sin. This is radically different than the Christian who stumbles into sin. Such an individual is not living their lifestyle in the sin, but will on occasion fall into pits or another. Such a person does, not, does need to confess And does need to repent of sin. But we should not assume that if one falls into this, that they are automatically walking in darkness and have been their entire lives. Or since conversion, or haven't been converted. As John says, If we say we're without sin, we lie to ourselves. We need to recognize we all still sin. None of us loves God perfectly, nor do we love our neighbors perfectly. And since it is our holy God whom we are to compare ourselves, we must recognize that in this life, we always fall short. Though sometimes the fall is a bit harder than others. As a side note, this is why it is so important for John to recognize the fellowship aspect in this text. We need to make sure we maintain a safe place for each other for confession to take place. We cannot be hard-hearted and graceless people. Instead, we need to help one another by acknowledging confession is a good thing. Too often we can become shocked by someone who confesses a sin when we should recognize it is good when fellow Christians come to one another and discuss their struggles because it means there is growth. It means that there is a recognition of sin and it means that that person is desiring to change. So let's make sure that we have true fellowship with one another, giving each other grace, mercy, and love and safety for confession and repentance. In other words, confession shouldn't be scary for us. So why is it? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. Now getting back on point, that is what it means when John discusses walking in darkness, not a misstep, but a complete walk in the dark. This is the first lifestyle which was brought into view in verse 6. In this, we need to be careful and check ourselves to make sure we are not living in darkness ourselves. Likewise, we should always ask God to reveal in us darkness which we may have need to struggle against, with hopes that the fellowship with God would not be shaken because of our unrepentant sin. But it also reminds us that those who live in such a lifestyle are not in salvation either. But we'll discuss more on that shortly. Now we come to the second. There is a different lifestyle which we are able to live. This lifestyle is not one of darkness and unrighteousness, but one of light and righteousness. Because of what Christ has done, we are able to live in the light of Christ, who is the very word and who is the light himself. But what does it mean to live in the light? Well, we've already looked at what it means to live in the dark, and since we know this is a dichotomy, we can be sure that to live in the light is to live opposite of living in the dark. Therefore, to live in the light is to live in a way which is not in sin. We know for sure what this kind of lifestyle entails. As has been seen many times, John the Baptist proclaimed, as Jesus did, the way of this lifestyle. Consider what we are told in Matthew. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. First one, confession of sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Second word, repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to, from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit in fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn and the chaff, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Likewise, in the next chapter, Jesus returns to Galilee after his temptation in the desert. And we are told in verse 17, from that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Later on in Matthew, Matthew 7, we read this Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Now remember, repentance bears fruit. We will know them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. He continues, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, Did we not prophesy in your name, and cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then I would declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Lawlessness implies bad fruit. Paul also informs specifically in Galatians what this repentant lifestyle will look like. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And all of these things, we are dealing with living in the light. It starts with John the Baptist, where people would come and confess their sins. But we also learn this confessional led to repentance. John claimed that repentance is the means to bear good fruit. Later we learn that Jesus himself proclaimed the same message as John. Though John was in Judea, Jesus was in Galilee. Finally we learn directly from Jesus what it means to bear good fruit versus uh, bad fruit. Good fruit and bad fruit represent different lifestyles, much as we see today. To bear good fruit as we have already seen, is to live in repentance, thereby following the law of God. To bear bad fruit, as we see from today's text that we just looked at, it is to live in lawlessness. So this is what it means to live in the light. It means to live in repentance away from sin, to turn from sin and turn toward God, to live not for self, but to live for the glory of God. It means confessing your sins as a way of acknowledging them as sin and wrongdoing, and then turning from them in repentance. Paul then caps it all off by informing us what it means to walk in the Spirit. This is how we live in the light. Since, the God, since God is the light, the Spirit is God, therefore to walk in the Spirit is to walk in the light. We follow Christ's teaching on repentance and living to the Word in step with the Spirit of God. To live in this way is the evidence of one's salvation. It does not mean that one is saved when they live this way. Otherwise, our deeds would be what saves us rather than grace and faith. Instead, we recognize that our deeds can never attain righteousness, which is why we cling to Christ. Yet to cling to Christ does not mean we live however we want, but it means that we live in a way which glorifies him. Therefore, walking in this way does not cause salvation, but it is the evidence that one is saved. Now when we consider both light and dark, we have to make a choice, either to live one way or the other. My encouragement to you is to choose light. My encouragement to you is to seek out the glory of God with your life, to honor him with every breath you breathe, and then to rejoice. For if we do walk in the light, then we can be sure we have been forgiven of our sins through Christ. So give praise to God for this redemption and for the evidence he performs in our lives through repentance. It's with this that we come to the next point. I'm going to be honest. I always have one of these honest moments, don't I? Right before point. Um, that I wrote this, and it wasn't until I got to the PowerPoint and was editing it that I just edited so much of this. So we'll see how it goes. Um, Yeah, I'm glad you guys don't have things to throw at me. The great lie. As we consider today's text, I think we find something rather fascinating. A great lie concerning mankind is found within today's text. This lie is something which the prophets often warned against. What is that? That the people who were so sure of themselves, so sure that they were living in righteousness, were in truth living in righteousness. In unrighteousness. In other words, the great lie is that those who are in darkness believe that they're actually in the light. This is a spiritual state which is truly wicked. It can sometimes acknowledge enough truth to say that there is righteousness and there is unrighteousness, but instead of doing what God calls righteous and living in the truth, it turns the other way instead. It may not even know the difference but just be in a state of thinking that they are in the light when in fact they are not. We who are Christians would be appalled by a people who would consider adultery, lying, stealing, murder to be righteous deeds. Yet that is exactly the kind of thing happening here. There are those who are living in a way which they think they are glorifying God, and yet they aren't glorifying God, but living in self-deception. The danger is not that they are going to lose their salvation, as though some part of them is in the truth. The danger is that they are not in the truth at all. Not only are they lying to self, to others, but most importantly, they are lying about God himself. To claim that one is doing good, and claiming that God calls it good, when in fact God calls it bad, is to call God himself a liar. Such a thing is absurd to us. But think about how many individuals there are today who do this very thing. Consider it. There are many individuals who claim that they have a relationship with God, that they have fellowship with him. Yet, when we see the evidence of their lives, we find something completely different than what God would consider fellowship with Him. Indeed, something foreign to what his light is. We all have friends and family who would technically fit into this category. Those who say they believe in God, and yet, when you look at their lives, you do not see any repentant lifestyle, no confession of sin being sin, no fellowship with other believers, all things in today's text. It is hard for me to make a top ten list of things that we can say are wrong with modern-day American congregation and evangelicalism in general. If pressed, though, I would say that what we are dealing with today would be one of the top things on the list, And we as evangelicals have no one to blame but ourselves. For too long we have only preached half the message. We have preached God is light. Amen, he is. We have preached God is love. Amen, he is. We have preached confession of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. But what we have failed to to often say is that God is not darkness. We have failed to say that God is righteous. We have failed to say... Faith goes hand in hand with repentance. Because of this, we have a generation of individuals who believe they are right with God while they still live in darkness. We have a generation who are told that if they pray to prayer, then they will be saved as though that is what saves. We fail to mention what it looks like to be saved. We fail to inform them of the whole message. Yes, God is light, but in him there is no darkness at all. And true, a true repentant heart will not continue in a lifestyle of sin. Now as a side note, this does not mean that we go into the complete opposite direction either. What I mean is, we can't say if you do these things, then you will be saved as though doing them is what saves. The lifestyle is not what saves you. It is the evidence that salvation has already come. If you walk in the light, it assumes that you already have fellowship with God because God is light. So we can't put a burden on people's necks. We need to let people know nothing we do can make us righteous. It's all about what Christ has done, which saves us. And because of that, our love for God will cause us to follow him because we are his children, not his slaves. So as it is now, We have many individuals who, again, believe that they are right with God when in reality they are far from him. This manifests itself in two different ways. The first is a lawless lifestyle. The second is a faithless lifestyle. In one, the person lives in darkness by their actions. In the other, they live in darkness because they think that they can do it all on their own without Christ. In either case... They continue to walk in their darkness and assume that their darkness is light. We should mourn for such individuals. We should weep for those who are in such a state as this. But most importantly, we should weep for God himself. For our Savior is being misrepresented. This should make us ache. But it also does not mean that we are without hope. While this darkness is in great, and while the lie is great, we have a lot of ground to catch up on, it's true. We can be sure that the light of Christ is greater than even this darkness and even this lie. We can be sure that God can transform the hearts of any individual, even those who think that they have been transformed already. While we ache for God being misrepresented, we can be sure he is being truly represented by those who are truly living according to his word. My encouragement to you is to always check yourself against the scriptures. Don't be fooled into thinking that you're in the light when you're really in the dark. Don't merely assume that you're in the light, but seek assurance from the scriptures. Seek to live a life of repentance and faith. If you are truly living in the light, then rejoice because of what it means. And rejoice, too, knowing that we can know the difference. We can distinguish between darkness and light thanks to who our God is and what he has revealed to us through the scriptures and through his son, Jesus Christ. Likewise, be encouraged to preach the whole gospel to all people, both those in and outside of the light. That's the wonderful thing about the gospel of Christ, For those who are in the light, they need to hear it, they crave it, and they love it because they know it is the word of life. For those who are in the dark, it is the light by which they can be saved. So preach all of the gospel, and trust in the power of God to transform the hearts of those who are in dark places. Now this clearly reminds us of the gospel This beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ, which shines its light upon all people. We have all been in the deepest darkness. We have all believed that what we do is right, regardless of if it glorifies God or not. We are the evidence, then, that such individuals can be changed by the power of the word. This powerful truth of Jesus Christ. The gospel begins with our origins. God created the cosmos according to the power of his word. Last of all, he created humanity to bear his image. Because God is a God of love, reason, he knows, can be known, has personhood, is moral, and displays hesed, we can as well. And it is because of this we find the dignity, sanctity, and worth of all human life. But like God, we are also able to choose. We could either choose to follow God in obedience and life, or choose to follow sin and disobedience and death. We chose the latter and have continued to make that choice ever since. Because of this, our relationships with God, ourselves, each other, and the world are broken. And it's because of sin we have a moral guilt before our God. Not a feeling of guilt, but of true guilt before our righteous judge. Thankfully, God did not leave us in this place of darkness forever. Instead, he sent his light and spoke his word into the darkness, and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again in time, space, history, and flesh. It is by his blood we are cleansed from our sins. We are redeemed through his sacrifice on the cross, and the relationships begin to be restored through him. His victory over death in life becomes our victory in life and over death. All that is required of us is obedience in two things. The first is repentance. We are to live lifestyles of repentance away from sin and toward God. We are to live our lives for the glory of God. We can know what glorifies God through the life of Christ, the revelation of the scriptures, and by walking in step with the Spirit who indwells all believers. The second is faith in Christ. We are to recognize our complete and total dependence upon the Son of God for our salvation. If It is not what we do, but what Christ has done, which saves us from the judgment we deserve because of our sins. We are to recognize that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the Scriptures alone, for the glory of God alone. For those who are disobedient in these things who remain in condemnation for their sins, those who do not confess their sins as sin and continue to live a lifestyle of sin instead of repentance remain in darkness. Their deeds... Even their most righteous acts are as filthy rags before God. Therefore, without an advocate on their behalf, they will experience the judgment of God for their sins. Yet, there is hope. For though we are all in this state, prior to conversion, we can be sure that God has made a way through Jesus Christ. For those who are obedient in these things, there is no longer condemnation but love. Those who are in Christ experience the love of the Father that is reserved only for His Son, because they become His children. In this life, they can have victory over sin by the power of the Spirit in them, and in the next life, they will inherit an eternal kingdom, where they will experience the peace of God forever. My hope is that you would live in the truth, that you would not live in darkness, but live in the light, my hope is that you would seek fellowship with our God all the days of your life. Seeking to live according to his word. Be encouraged. Though the darkness is great, we can know that the light will always outshine the darkness. And he will make his light evident within us as we seek his glory and his will. Amen. Let us go to Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the word, we thank you for the light, and we thank you that you are able to tell us the difference between darkness and light. That we are able to pick up the word of God, read it, and to know what it is that you would have us know about yourself and about us, and what it needs for us to be transformed by the power of your word. And so Lord, in this we thank you. We thank you for your grace, we thank you for your mercy, And we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Amen. Please rise as we sing our final hymn.